it all over the house this evening. Let's worship the Lord. Let's sing an old hymn of the church. Pass me not, O gentle Savior.
Let's remain standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We glorify you. Lord, let that be our heart's prayer today, Lord, that you are our Savior, but do not pass us by. We have no one on earth besides thee. So, Lord, we pray that every note that is played, every song that is sung, let it be for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And Father, I pray that every part of this service, Lord, would bring glory and honor to you and would lift you up, draw someone closer to you today. We thank you and we glorify you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. And the people of God together said amen. 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 We take this time to greet each other in the Lord this evening. God bless you. Good evening. Let's uh, get as we head back to our seats this evening. Let's continue worship. We're going to sing some old praise choruses. Many of these you know they're just old praise choruses. Some of them are hymns and some of them are old worship songs that we've sang together. But let's just continue to worship the Lord today.
our prayer today. Your redeeming love will be with us. They lose hope, their guilty stain. Lose all their guilty stain. Father, we thank you for the presence of God we feel in this place. We know, God, that you are in this house today. Father, Lord, as we get ready to segue to read from your holy pages of Scripture and break the bread of life, I pray, God, today that something would be said or done to speak to a heart to someone today. For that to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord if you can this evening. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in the book of Genesis today. We're going to be in chapter number 13. We're just going to read one verse of scripture. Genesis chapter number 13, verse 12. Let me say, as you're turning there uh, this evening, um, just a couple just housekeeping items uh, to make you aware of, just um, so you're aware. Don't forget, next Sunday night is uh, CLM graduation. Uh, I will say to you, you, you want to come early. Uh, they, they fill up quick. So if you're planning on coming next Sunday night, you don't want to come at 555 because you may be sitting on the front row right here. So just, just know. So
So if you want to be like those Church of God people that go to Church of God camp meeting on Sunday morning, you might should leave your Bible in your pew and mark it off like you're at camp meeting because somebody's going to sit there if you don't get back in time. But we are doing hot dogs for them just because it's going to be a little bit easier to handle and maintain. And so we're looking for box chips, uh, all kinds of drinks. You can bring teas. Preferably, you know, we, if you want to bring soda, that's fine. But we're looking for like gallons of teas, lemonades, easy things to keep up with, but drinks. Um, like that, um, box chips. I know some folks have signed up for coleslaw. We don't need chili. We already got that covered. We already have the hot dogs covered, but we will need like ketchup, mustard, um, buns. So if you haven't signed up, please do. I'll send out another big blast out this week to all of the people for that. So don't forget that. Also next week, um, uh, we have a special treat. Um, Brother Wayne uh, Studemeyer, who has uh, been with us for quite some time now and is a part of our uh, family of God. Um, a couple years ago, he had the opportunity to share his testimony through CLM at another uh, location. And uh, he and I went to lunch this week, and we talked through it. But he wants to just tell an update of where God's brought him, where he's at now, and how God's done some pretty miraculous things. And God's just put his hand of approval on him ever since that day and just kind of give an update. And he wanted to do it as a, as a testimony to the Lord. And I said, well, man, I said, I'm going to have you do it on Sunday morning instead of Sunday night. I said, because I want everybody to hear how good God is. And uh, like this morning, we had 71 people on this property. I want 71 people to hear God's good, okay? And uh, and so we're going to have that next Sunday morning. And so yeah, even if you're not here, tune in. Be, be like the Bat Channel. Same time next week. Tune in and uh, and hear what the Lord is doing in his life. But don't forget those two items. Um, and also just don't forget the questionnaires regarding the men's and women's ministries. Get those filled out and turn into us as quickly as possible. I'm going to ask you to stand. Genesis chapter 13. Verse number 12, to all our online guests, uh, those that are watching, uh, I never know if people are actually watching or not, so it always just makes me feel good to say that, because if they're not watching, that's really disheartening, so we're just going to welcome them anyway, so just in case they watch it later, I can at least say I welcome them to church, so to all our online guests, uh, we welcome you to church. We did have quite a high turnout, or higher than normal, I'll say high, but a higher than normal uh, streaming this morning with, with uh, watch uh, viewership, I guess you would say. Had a lot more comments from people that weren't even here. Uh, we had them watching from uh, Oklahoma to Jacksonville, Florida, uh, to South Florida. Um, Sister Sister Carolyn Fulmer watched us from Florida. Brother John and Sister Teresa watched us from the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. Sister Linda Antley watched us from Oklahoma. Uh, Sister Julie Zanetti watched us from the islands, not the Caribbean, John's Island. Uh, and uh, not, not that far. We didn't make international yet, but we did make it to John's Island. And, uh, and and uh, had some others that commented. I don't know where they were from. They might have been from Berkeley County. I don't know. But they were somewhere. And so we appreciate them joining. Uh, so if they're joining tonight, God bless you today. Genesis chapter 13, verse number 12. Just one verse of scripture. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now I know a couple months ago, I preached to you on... Lot's wife's perspective of Sodom. She turned into a pillar of salt. and We talked about her. And though I'm going to be kind of looking more at Lot's side of the story tonight, I'm, I'm actually talking to us as a state of the church address. Every year in, in, um, in the election times of the year, once a new president is elected or when an older president is getting ready to segue out of office, every year they give what they call the state of the union address. They stand before their House of Representatives, the Congress and Senate, and they give their State of the Union address. And normally it's political about their agenda or what they've accomplished. 
Every year I try to, to the best of my ability, kind of give a State of the Union address. Uh, if you know anything about Church of God polity, you know that the beginning of the new church year is not January. It runs September through August. And so this is the last block, if you will, of, of services before the launching of the new church year. And I know Wednesday would still be in, in, in uh, considered August, but we, we don't have that opportunity. And so I wanted to talk, not that I couldn't have done this on Sunday morning, but I wanted to talk to the grassroots. If you know anything about politics, the grassroots, they always talk about they want to reach the grassroots. That's the people that are on the ground. It's not the people in the high-rise apartments. That's the people that are the boots on the ground. And I feel like Sunday night services for most churches, that's the grassroots. Those are the people that have the boots on the ground. You don't normally have visitors on Sunday night. They come on Sunday morning and hide in the crowd. Sunday night, that's your saved folks. They're ready to come to church. They consecrated Sundays to the Lord. So today we're going to talk about that. So let's bow for prayer, and then we'll jump right in today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. I pray that you would help us not just be hearers of the word, but doers thereof likewise. Take a call from the altars of heaven and on the lips of clay, that I may decree and declare what thus saith the word of the Lord. Don't let me be seen or heard, but your word be spoken. Father, we pray that this word would go forth and accomplish the task it was sent to do and not return unto you void. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you briefly on the cost of complacency. The cost of complacency. If there's anything that I have discovered over the last three years of being in a senior pastorate role and then a previous seven plus years in an associate or an administrative role and if it's so you talk about if you take the seven years that I serve in an administrative role as an associate and three years as a senior pastor in that type of of work environment that's ten years if you will of, of watching church as we know it in the day-to-day -day operations you know I, I did get the opportunity for a long time to serve as a youth pastor Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, youth pastors don't have a clue what happens in the church. They're just out there having fun, playing ping pong, eating pizza. I'm not saying they're not good. Don't get me wrong. We got some good youth leaders, Brother brother Randy and Sister Jeannie and others. Are gonna, but, but look, I've done my time in youth ministry. Youth ministry, you have to stay safe because they can catch phonies in a quick heartbeat. They can identify if you're fake, if you're real, if you love them, if you don't. They'll call you out on the latest trends and fads. You can walk in dressed in blue jeans, a jean jacket, and, you know, Air Force Ones or Converse tennis shoes, but if they went out of style last week, they're going to look at you and go, PJ, what are you wearing? You look ridiculous, because they know what's going on, the latest and greatest, but but it's, it's, it's most of the time, the youth pastors, they're trying to stay up with the latest trends, the latest and greatest, what's going on in the world around them, and having lock-ins, and which are of Satan, because they're, nobody loves a lock-in, and, and, and they, they try to stay up with, with all of the football games and basketball games and going to all this stuff, and, and they're needed. Don't get me wrong, they're needed. But most of the time, most youth pastors only come around every so often to ask for money. They don't care about any of the other day-to-day -day operations. Every once in a while, about one Sunday a quarter, they'll get the opportunity for the youth praise band to lead worship, and they'll preach on Sunday morning, and the senior pastor sits in his chair, and he prays the entire time. He's not thinking about the message. He's praying, God, don't let him say something stupid that costs me or him and me our jobs. Because, you know, he's relevant and he's young and he's hip. And don't let him show some movie clip that's not appropriate or whatever it may be. And so they don't see the day-to-day -day operations. But when I moved into a, uh, an associate role uh, back in uh, uh, seven, uh, about ten years ago total, but seven years in that office, 
You saw more and more day-to-day operations. You saw staff meetings. You saw business meetings. You saw financial reports. You saw what the children were needing and when the van needed to be serviced and who was in the nursing home and who was in the hospital. You saw a lot more than just one scope, if you will, of ministry. And what happened was over those course of seven years in administration and then three years in a, in a more of a senior executive role as a senior pastor, I have seen, if you will, the face of the church. Now, I'm not talking about a specific church. I'm not talking about this church or the church across the street, or but I'm talking about universally God's church. I have seen God's universal church change drastically within the last 10 years. Things have changed. Ten years ago, when I was 25 years old, and I was playing, was the band director and band leader at the church I served in and wrote the chord charts and helped the minister of music do the, those kinds of things. On Sunday morning, 160 people were in the building, 150, 160 people in the building. At the church I served at that time on Sunday night, we'd get 70, 80 people come back. But some of those same churches that I've had the privilege of serving in now don't even have Sunday night church because nobody will come back. Continued. I have seen the face of church, not just the universal church, but I'll say just corporately in the church of God circle. I've seen in the last 10 years through general assemblies and camp meetings and state ministers meetings and other events, I've seen the face of church of God change in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, it was not debatable or amendable that our declaration of faith and our teachings that one of the articles was we believe in the verbal inspiration but we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues right now within our movement we have people that will teach you that's not accurate in our movement they'll teach you the baptism of the Holy Spirit can come in many different ways but speaking in tongues doesn't have to be one of those initial evidences of it that's in our own family of believers believers I've seen Churches that had three services dropped down to two services, dropped down to one big service on Sunday morning a week and the rest of the week, we'll just see you next week. I've seen Sunday school or what we call discipleship classes or discipleship moments. I've seen Sunday schools across this nation and churches, not just Pentecostal but other churches. I've seen Sunday school drastically drop in attendance. Nobody wants to come. 45 minutes to an hour prior to an executive worship service. They don't want to have to deal with all that. They want to just be kind of just come to my little one and a half hour worship concert with all the cool stuff and gadgetry. Have my pastor give me a really cool word, make me feel good about myself, and then let me go. The face of the church really drastically changed in 2019, 20, and 21. The world was shocked all over the four corners of the earth the global pandemic and when when it should have been the church's finest hour to rise up and say hey the world's in chaos the world is scared the world is terrified the world is is in is is in pandemonium while all that's happening it was a perfect opportunity for the church to rise up and say we're not freaking out about it we're good God's in control. While the world is losing their mind and everything is in chaotic mode, that was the time the world could have, I mean, the church could have stood up and said, hey, we know how to help you get through this. What happened was that while the weight of the world began to press on the hearts of God's people, slowly over time, God's people started to succumb to the weights of the world. 
because churches at large, instead of when, when 9-11 happened in 2001, the Sunday after 9-11, when, uh, and all that took place, churches were filled. New York was packed with churches. Packed. I mean, we had just seen literally our economic the replication, or if you will, the, 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 the buildings that rep, that, that uh, uh, replicated the, the financial structures being crushed. We've seen the Pentagon be hit. All the, and churches were packed because people were afraid. Churches couldn't hold them. There was a mass, Barna Statistics and others said there was a mass, if you will, ex, not exodus, but attendance, growth, attendance for churches. When COVID hit, the world got shocked. When everybody started to eventually come out of hibernation, the world that it once used to pack the pews because of fear now didn't care at all about church. And though fear still drove them to decisions, they didn't come to church to find help in their time of need. What ended up happening is quite the opposite. In 9-11, churches were packed. When churches launched back pre, uh, post-COVID, they had less than what they started with pre-COVID. Something changed in the room. Something changed in the atmosphere. Something happened in that block of time where people who were coming faithfully, religiously, supportive, dropped off. Now, some churches, they bounced back and are thriving again. There are many churches, they didn't bounce back. Some of them ended up in financial ruin. Some of them, even to this day, are struggling to make ends meet, even though they were at once a premier perennial house of worship. But what happened was, is over the course of years, times and years, people have learned to value what we call complacent living. They've learned to value, yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it, but even if it is broke, if it ain't broke bad enough, let's don't just mess it up. Just leave it alone. People have, if you will, got to the point in their life that even though they know that there is maybe a God out there somewhere, there are people today that are not near as hungry to find out more about that God as much as they are just living their life quietly by themselves on their own. What happened is when we allow this to happen over time, it will cost us more than we want to pay. Great theologians and great scholars, those that study the word, those that study church history, they coined a, a phrase or, or a word to describe a season of time where the church world would go into a, a different season, and they've called it apostasy, the apostate church, where where people just wouldn't feel the same way they used to. They wouldn't have the same morals. They, they would get into this apostasy or this counter-living, if you will, of God's Word. They would kind of just fall by the wayside. And what happens is, that's really what happened in this story. Abraham has no children. God has promised him blessings beyond belief. God has promised him that he's going to be a father of many nations. God has promised him he's going to see his descendants be as numerous as the stars, but years keep passing and no children are being born. 
So Moses takes on, if you will, an adoptive parental role of his nephew Lot. Abraham's brother has died. Abraham's brother is no longer in it. So Lot travels with Uncle Abram and Aunt Sarai. He's lived with Abram. He has watched Uncle Abram pray. He's watched Uncle Abram fast. He's watched Uncle Abram and Aunt Sarah follow God blindly out of their homeland to a place they don't even know where they're going. In fact, Abraham's nephew Lot, he was a man full of potential. He was a young man. He was ambitious. He was an opportunist. He had a future. And while Abraham didn't have any children, he kind of let Lot benefit from Uncle Abram's flocks. Lot did not become rich by just sitting by, but Uncle Abram set Lot up for success. He helped him learn how to farm. He helped him learn how to handle sheep and cattle. He taught Lot how to work and to do life, like a parental role, a father figure. Lot's life has taken on quite many turns. If you read the end of the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, you see that Lot's living, if you will, of Sodom and Gomorrah cost him a lot. See, Abraham and Lot one day are standing out on the grasslands and, and, and on their property at the, at the edge of their property line. And Uncle Abraham says to Lot, he said, son, we've both been blessed by God. But we don't have enough room. You are being blessed. God has blessed you. He's blessed your, your finances. He's blessed your resourcing. And it's time for you to fly. It's time for you to get out the nest. It's time for you to spread your wings. It's time for you to, to, to be the man God called you to be. And what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to part ways. Our, our sheep, our cattle, we're, we're, we're competing for the same area. We, we can't keep doing this. And so I tell you what I'm going to do, son. I'm going to let you pick anywhere you want to go. You get first choice. Wherever you want to go, you go. And I'll go the opposite direction. Even in this, if you will, conversation, Abraham is still looking after Lot's best interest at heart. He's willing to give him whatever he wants, the best land. Lot surveys the land and he looks out and he sees this valley area that is very lush and green and it's beautiful, but it's also near a very wicked city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot says, well, I think I'm going to just make camp right outside. I'm not going to go in, not into Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll just go right on the outskirts. I'll settle out there. And Abraham says, if that's what you want. Lot said, yeah, sure. So Lot goes and he sets up camp out there near Sodom and Gomorrah. See, sometimes people want to be so close to the world, but yet still try to be close to God at the same time. And that doesn't work. You can't be literally making camp next to the worldly things and still expect the godly things to be nigh your dwelling. Because Lot's desire was, I want to be as close to the sins of the world. They look like they throw good parties. They look like that's a fun city. That looks like a place with life. It's like the Las Vegas of 
of, of biblical times. It looks like a place we want to go. It looks exciting. But I know I know to love God. And I know Uncle Abraham said I need to pray every day. And I know Uncle Abraham said that we need to serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I know that Uncle Abraham says that God is the, the, the God of, of, of the Israelites is the way to go. I know that we're supposed to follow this God. Man, the life over there looks really good. And before long, what happens is Lot's attempt to just be close to sin, but not completely in sin, before too long, it it caused him to not just have his tent set up on the outside of the city, but to buy a house in the middle of the city. What once was, I'll just stand on the outskirts looking in, but I'll be close enough that I can hear the sounds of the world. I'll be close enough I can hear the sounds of revelries. I'll be close enough that I can hear the joy of what's going on in town. I'll be close enough to sin that I can at least hear it, but I won't engage in it. What happened was, before long, it was like a magnetic pull, and it sucked Lot from the outside of the gate directly inside the city walls I would say to you today as a church and as a pastor we must be careful not just our church but universal churches at large I expressed to you about the complacency factor and things that have happened over the last 10 years and what churches look like we must be careful that we don't compromise the word of God to the point that we let people come to church and think it's okay to be really close to the world and still reap the benefits of God's blessing. Because if we're not careful, we're going to let them get sucked into the modern-day Sodom while we make them think they're going to an eternal heaven. And they're going to be sadly mistaken. Because there's a lot of people, they think they can still come to church and still cuss people out. There's a lot of churches that tell you you can still drink and still be saved. You can drink alcoholic beverages. They'll tell you, well, as long as you don't get drunk, they'll tell you, well, what's that hurt if we just have a little sip? What if it, you know, they'll tell you that. There'll be people that'll tell you you can be addicted to substances, whether it's smoking, whether it's cigarettes, other things. There will be churches that will tell you there's nothing wrong with that stuff as long as it doesn't interfere with relationship with God but can I tell you it does interfere with your relationship with God the reality of the fact is the closer you try to nudge up to sin the more likely or prone you're going to be a be that you're going to get sucked into a life of sin now listen I there are a lot of things about the old pathways and and what we call old school things I'm different I know that I don't wear a suit and tie. I don't wear a tie every Sunday night. I don't have my shoes shined every service. I don't wear a tie on Wednesday night. I don't wear suits on Wednesday night. I, I more often than not, maybe in a more casual look on a Wednesday night. I wear a watch. I have a wedding ring. Back in the olden days, that was that was not that was bad news. You wasn't even playing the piano, much less being the preacher in those kinds of days. And while there are things about that that lifestyle that that I'm a little bit different from, you know, I I may not follow the same quote unquote same structure as the old school ways. 
And there might even some degree, there might have been a little bit of legalism in that, where, where everything was a little more legalistic than it was, you know, relevancy or relational with God. But I will say one thing about them. They died on principles and convictions. They wouldn't let sin come close to their dwelling. Now, do I think it's bad to go to a baseball game? No. I know there are people that in churches I've served in, they got kicked out of the church for looking across the field, across the railroad tracks. Wasn't even at the field. They were just looking over the fence of the railroad tracks, and the church people found out about them and kicked them out of the church because they went to a ball game. I'm sorry. Y'all just have to kick me out. I'm going to a Braves game in September. I'm going to sit there at Truist Park. I'm not going to drink, but I'm going to eat me a hot dog that's a Nathan Ballpark Frank hot dog, and I'm going to lose my mind if we win. I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the ball games. My family and I went to ball games as a child. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But what I'm saying to you, one thing I will say about, though, that older life, older ways and church ways, while they may have been legalistic in some respects, and maybe they, they wouldn't let you watch a ball game, or maybe they, they wouldn't let you wear your wedding ring. Maybe they were a little, a little bit legalistic in some respects. One thing was they were staunch on. They weren't letting sin get close. You know, I, I'm not going to say to you that wearing a long dress with a, with a neck scarf and long sleeve shirts with white gloves and, 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 no, and your ankles not showing is, is, is going to prevent you from sinning. What I am telling you is even if their ways were a little unorthodox, the heart of what they were trying to accomplish was right. The heart of the matter was right. Now, the ways might have been a little unconventional to some, but it was right. But what we've done is the pendulum has swung so far the other way that now you can sing on praise team with everything hanging out for us to see it and you're on staff. That's not right either. If you're not interested in someone coming by, putting a contractual, making a pass to you, you know, I hear these girls and guys some all the time talking about, you know, people making a pass to them, but don't advertise it's for sale if you don't want somebody to come by and make an offer. The reality of it is we swung the pendulum the opposite way. Instead of not everything had to be suits and ties and long dresses and scarves, we've now swung the pendulum. You can be on staff and do whatever you want to, dress in your way, say in your thing, and it's okay. You can lead us in the presence of God. That's not right either. The pendulum has to be somewhere in between, not legalistic, but not so relevant that we look like the world. There has to be a middle ground. Lot was so close to Sodom. Sodom sucked him in. Now, now Lot, Lot came out of Sodom. But not everybody that Lot took into Sodom came back out of Sodom with him. You may feel like, well, I can go to the bar and sit there and just drink a glass of water and it ain't going to hurt anything, but your friend Joe may not can, so you don't need to take Joe to the bar because he may not be the one that can come out the same way you went in. See, sometimes it's not about whether or not you can handle it or not. What if your children don't come out of Sodom with you? We talked about it with Naomi and Ruth a couple of weeks ago. You might go in with one group, but you may come out with a totally different group than you left with. You may say, well, Pastor, I don't want to make little Sally come to church, and I don't want to make little Johnny mad, and I don't want to put him in youth group, and I don't want him to do this, and I don't want him to do that. That's fine. You may well not want him to do that, and you may come to church, and you may want to do it, but when it comes time to go to heaven, you may go to heaven, but Johnny may not either. 
Because the reality of it is, sometimes we lead people places like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Moab. We lead them there, but guess what happens? We come out, but they don't. They don't leave Sodom. They don't leave Gomorrah. They don't leave Moab. Lot got settled. He got complacent. How did he get there? So I want to quickly and very quickly just tell you a couple things that I think would help the church, not just this church, universal church, help us stay focused on the task at hand. How do we avoid getting to a place where anything goes, everything goes, complacency abounds, abounds, and, and, and we just settle? I'm not saying we have to go as far back as, as legalistic or go to the other side where completely relevant, where nothing matters. But the first thing that got messed up is the direction of, Saul, of, of, of Lot's walk got all screwed up. It's that it started. I read it to you. I already read it to you at the beginning. The, the direction of his walk got messed up. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. But notice, he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. He went to the threshold of sin, but he didn't want to cross sin just yet. If you put yourself in situations that's going to make you vulnerable... Don't be surprised if in your vulnerability you end up finding yourself exactly where you intended not to be. If you know drinking is a struggle for you, then don't go to the bar. If you know that sexual promiscuity is a struggle for you, don't be caught alone with somebody in places you shouldn't be. There are ways to not pitch your tent, if you will, near sin. Lot's walk, his direction, his steps were all, all, all off. Abraham had no part of that, but Lot was intrigued by Sodom and Gomorrah. Can I tell you the direction of your walk determines your destiny with God? Let me give you an example. Most oftentimes, the people that tamper with drugs lead to addictions. The people that just tamper with alcohol end up finding themselves in degradation. Immoral living can lead to diseases, unwanted children, failed marriages. The direction of your walk has direct proportions on the type of destiny you're going to have when this is all said and done. If you walk away from God, then don't be surprised if things don't work out the way you had them planned in your mind. Because God's ways are drastically different. There is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads not to help. It leads to death. Your way may not always be the best way. You see, I often believe and I still believe that most people's future can be revealed based on their day-to-day -day living. What you do tomorrow or what you do today will shape how you live tomorrow. What you do tomorrow will shape how Tuesday looks. What you do Tuesday will shape how Wednesday looks. What you do can have direct implications on what you become. If you go to the doctor and your A1C is off the charts and he says you're diabetic and you don't need sugar and you go home and say, you know what, he's a quack, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he's an idiot. And you open up a, a, a box of Little Debbie Choco Gels with a raspberry filling and you eat all 12 of them in one sitting, don't be surprised if you go, your blood sugar goes into shock mode, right? You knew what to do. 
The doctor told you your A1C is off the charts. You don't need to do this. And you thought little Debbie's smarter than the doc in the box. And so you didn't trust the doc in the box. You trust the fat lady on the box instead. You figured, I'll swap. I don't want a doc in a box. I want a fat lady on a box instead. And you ate all 12 of those. And then you go into a diabetic coma. And you end up in, in some kind of congestive heart failure. They finally get you back. But you're in the hospital. And you call me in. And you go, I don't know how I got here. I'll tell you how you got here. Little Debbie. God, God, God did not take you out. Little Debbie took you out because you knew better, right? The reality is the same way spiritually. God has told us what we need to know. If you choose not to follow the direction, then don't get mad with the adverse outcomes. You can't get mad if you go into a diabetic coma after eating all that stuff and your doctor walks in and he says, hey, look, we're going to have to amputate your toe because it's neurotic and diabetes has caused it to come neurotic. We're going to have to amputate, uh, amputate your toe or your leg. Don't look at him and say, well, I paid you all this money to keep me from getting there. It's your fault. And sue him for malpractice. It's not his fault. He told you you chose to not listen to his instructions. If you choose not to listen to the direction God gives, uh, gives you, don't get mad when things don't go the way you want them or don't work out the way you want them. He told you, but you can't get mad at God if you don't follow him all the way it goes it's a two-way street the direction of his walk but then lot got a little distracted the purpose of separating from abraham was not to live in sin the purpose was for him to be able to continue to be blessed by god and let god use him for kingdom work lot was raised in a christian home let's think about this y'all Lot was raised in a God-fearing home, and even though he was raised in a God-fearing home, it did not keep sin from coming nigh his dwelling. You can go to church three times a week or not at all. You can sing on the praise team. You can give the most money in tithes and offering. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a piano player. You can even be a pastor. You can be an associate pastor. Don't think sin won't come find you. It will. It will find you. Don't think it's a respect or a person that thinks, well, because you play the guitar or you play the organ, you're important so that sin won't bother you. No, no, sin will take you anybody it can out at any time. Anytime. Sol- I mean, not Solomon. Uh, Lot slightly got his eyes off of the prize. The idea was we separate. God's going to bless you. You know what to do. Now go do it. There was pleasure in sin for a season to Lot. You've heard people say it. You've heard it coined so many times. There's pleasures in sin for a season. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, leave you in places longer than you intended to stay. I mean, it, it's it's sin in and of itself. There is an enjoyment. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you this, this evening. There's a, there is an enjoyment factor to sin for a while. But it's that after effect or the aftermath or the backbiting of it it's like it's like eating nuclear wings from zaxby's tastes good the first one till you cough and then everything inside your body is on liquid fire and you don't taste the other 12 wings because the rest of your body is literally in excruciating pain the first one tasted great you love this how dog eaters how did they come the first one tasted great when smoke came out of your ears we knew that's not what's normal in human eating right same thing with sin. Sin's fun for a while, but it won't always be fun. 
it won't always be pleasant. He got distracted. The original purpose was to stand with Abraham, to reap the rewards and faithfulness, to be a part of God's blessings. He was supposed to be a part of the, the journey. There are people that will go to church every Sunday and listen to the Word of God. They'll hear the purpose of God for their life. They'll hear the clarion call of God on their life. They'll hear all that they need to hear. But come Monday morning, they'll get distracted and forget everything that happened on Sunday. But once Lot's walk, if you will, the direction of his walk got off. And once that, Brother James, that walk kind of got not perfect. He started getting distracted because he's going on a different pathway. The, the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to, to life, but wide is the way that leads to destruction. When he got off the wrong path, you know what ended up? He started compromising his values. He had a decay of values. What he knew he should do and what he did do did not line up. They were not in alignment. He knew he shouldn't go into Sodom. There was a part of him that could not help but to go in to Sodom. He knew that Sodom was a bad idea. Everybody knew Sodom was a bad idea. Everybody knew Sodom had homosexuality running in it. And they had rape and incest. Everybody knew Solomon, I mean, that Sodom and Gomorrah was one of the most wicked cities. But, but Lot, even knowing it, there was still the allure of checking it out. Still want to see it. Still want to go. What happens is when we get our walk with God off, when we don't, we're not on the straight narrow path, and we start deviating on our walk with God. If we're not careful, we'll start compromising things we've often said we never would compromise on. We'll start saying things like 20 years ago, I'd never let that kind of people serve on our staff. I would never let nobody sing like that. I would never let nobody lead a class like that. I would never, I would never, I would never. And yet some of those people that used to say I would never are now the same people that are, well, when it hit their family going, well, you know, God is a God who's understanding. What happened to the I would never? Look, I'm all about morals. I'm all about values. But if going to the movies in 1943 was a sin to you, but when little Sally wants you to go to the movies with her as your granddaughter and you start going with her, but all you did for 40 years was preach to everybody that went and watched The Passion of the Christ in the movie theater was going to hell because they went to a secular arena. But when little Sally wanted to go see the new Barbie movie because she's your granddaughter and you took her, don't think, don't think for one minute people aren't going to judge you because they're going to see you changed your values. You told us we were going to go to hell over it. But when it came nigh your dwelling and it was okay for you, then the rules changed. I would much rather you just tell me I'm going to go to hell until the day you die for going to the movie theater to see the passion of the Christ than to tell me that, but then for me to catch you at the movie theater with your granddaughter watching the new Barbie movie. Because or, or better yet, don't tell me that it's going to send me to hell if you're going to compromise on it down the road. Now, listen, I'm not bashing the certain things. I'm telling you, the people will always tell you, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, and you can't do this, and you can't do it. People will always tell you stuff until it changes their home. Then all of a sudden, they're willing to renegotiate the agenda. They're willing to, re they're willing to come back to the table. See, I like consistent people. I'd rather it just be wrong and be wrong forever, whether or not it comes. Just be wrong, be wrong. But don't change the narrative. I've seen people... 
in ministry. I've watched pastors, even in our denomination, that are still preaching and pastoring and others. They'll preach and they'll tell you all this stuff. And looking back on it, you scratch your head going, now 10 years ago you used to say A, B, C, and D, and now A, B, C, and D don't matter to you anymore. Because your little Johnny wanted to do A, B, C, and D, so now you didn't want to condemn little Johnny, so you accept little Johnny. So you don't. People that used to say homosexuality was a sin, staunch against it. Now you got pastors in churches that won't even preach on homosexuality because they don't want to offend anybody in the pew because there's people in their church, so they try not to say anything about it because there's some of their own family are struggling with it, so now they're saying God's a God of embrace. What happened? Changed their values. Changed their values. Lot allowed his values to decay at his own vision. He chose the best land. He chose the best place, the best position, but at what cost? He saw the land was beautiful. He saw the land was enjoyable. It was desirable. He saw that it was the best position to be. But at what cost? Can I tell you compromising your values and your morals is a whole lot more costly than just standing true to your morals and values and principles. Lot said, I want it, I want it. And it, it ended up costing him more when he when he didn't stay true to principles. He didn't stay true to principles. He got accustomed to the darkness. He was considered righteous in the eyes of the citizens of Sodom. At least he didn't do all the bad sins that the Sodomites did. He wasn't the bad sinner in town. He seemed righteous to them. What kind of accolade was that? Because the Bible tells us that when you start allowing your decaying of values to happen, your walk gets distracted. And you, the direction of your walk gets changed. And you start allowing your morals and values to decay. What will end up happening is you'll ruin your testimony to everybody around you. They didn't believe him anymore. The man who had preached, heaven is sweet and hell is hot. They laughed at him when he came and preached out on this time. He wasn't. He was considered the righteous one of Sodom, sure. But when the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Sodom, uh, said Lot, you got to get out of Sodom. you got to get your family out. God's tired of this wickedness, and you got to get out. Your Uncle Abram up there, he's been praying for God, for God to spare the city for ten righteous people. Your Uncle Abram was hoping that you your daughters and your son-in-laws and your wife would make up the ten, but God can't even find ten of y'all here, and so he's taking this place out. The Bible says that Lot goes to his son-in-laws, and he's going to be married to his daughters, and he begs them, please go with us. And you know what the Bible said they did? They laughed at him. They mocked him. Go read it. They ridiculed him. A right, old man. We're not leaving our home. Gold, yeah, fire and brimstone's gonna fall out the sky and destroy it. Ooh, we're scared, Papa. And they fun of him. You know why? He wasn't believable anymore because they saw the man who would fast and pray when this all got started. They what they're really saying is, don't come preach to us on your high horse when you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing either, sir. Don't don't you come and tell us how self-righteous you are. Pop a lot. Don't don't tell us how wonder how God, you're a man of God. Don't come tell us how to live our lives when you're the ones that brought us in this city. We weren't even living here till you got here. 
your daughters and your wife and we all were living back there trying to learn from Uncle Abraham. And we went to church every Sunday with Uncle Abraham and Aunt Sarah. We sat on the pew and we went over to their house and ate lunch. But you decided we didn't need to go to church with them anymore. And you decided we'd go to the newer church across town that was more relevant. And then you decided we didn't even need to go that often. And then you decided we could live close to sin. Then you decided to put us in the middle of sin. Don't you come tell us how to live when you're the one that brought us here. See, what happens is if we're not careful, we can end up in all of our religiosity, we can end up hurting our testimony to the world around us when they see us compromising what we once stood on principles. When they've seen that for 20, 30 years we stood true to this way, we stood true, we, we stood true to this walk of life, we, we stood true to the principles line by line, precepts upon precepts. Because when they see, they can respect that. Even if they don't agree with it, they can respect it. What they can't respect is when you're one way in front of a certain crowd, but you're another way with another crowd, and they don't know which side of the fence you're on. That's when they can't accept it. Look, I'm telling you right now, I'm not UPC. I don't, I'm not in the one, no, I'm I'm a triune believer. I believe in three distinct personas, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not God morphs into one just being at all times. I'm not telling you that if you get saved next Sunday morning and I don't baptize you before you go home, you're not truly saved. I'm not saying that. But I'll give you one, I will say one thing about my UPC brothers and sisters. They stay true. They don't waver. They dress the same way when they're in public as they do when they're in church. They don't let their good be evil spoken of. You don't see them half-dressed in town. You don't see them indecently exposed in, in, in the beach or anywhere else they go. I've seen people on Folly Beach walking in jeans, skirts, and tops, and tennis shoes, walking out there looking at God's creation. They didn't have to let everybody know what was underneath the skirt. Hello. I respect that. I, I may not, you know, think that they should have to wear a jean skirt everywhere they go, but at least they stay true. They don't. You see them the same in town as you do at church. I, I respect people like Pastor Tommy Bates in Independence, Kentucky. I respect that you don't stand on his praise team unless you got a suit or Jimmy Swaggart. I'm not making everybody on our staff or on our, our worship team wear suits every Sunday. Half of them don't even own one. I'd have to give them a a clothing allowance just so they can buy one. They all don't wear the same size, so they can't go borrow Brother Randy's. Some of them are too tall. Some of them are too short. They wouldn't fit. But I can can at least respect that you go walk into Jimmy Swaggart's church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You ain't stepping on their stage without wingtip shoes and a three-piece suit on, or you just don't get on stage. I'm not saying that. Again, I'm not talking about religion. You have to have a, a, a certain level of legalism versus, I'm not saying dress is the only thing. My point and I'm making is, but you need to be consistent because if you're not careful, people will not know what to believe and you will be discredited because you're all over the page. You have to be consistent. My parents, they're, Miss Carol, you make your way. My parents are big um, Loretta Livingston fans. They'd rather listen to him preach than anybody else in town, including me. 
They literally will probably watch Lorraine Livingston's 8.30 service before they get here at 11. They probably went home this afternoon and watched the 11 o'clock service too. And when they leave here tonight, they'll sit in their wingback chairs, won't even remember half of what I said tonight, but they'll watch Lorraine Livingston's 6 p.m. service tonight at Central and know more about his message. And then they'll tell me tomorrow, hey, you know, this is a good thought. You should preach it. Well, probably not. Lorraine already preached it, but he did a real good job on it. Like, you ever call Lorraine and tell her how good our stuff was? I'm just kidding. But I'll get one thing to Dr. Livingston. You listen to him, he doesn't, he's got a big church, and he doesn't care if you like him. I've heard him preach so so hard, and I'm not talking about just old school type. I'm talking about, I know people left his church that Sunday offended. There was no, I, some, I felt convicted over the phone. And I'm not even there, so I know the people sitting in the pew was like, oh God, he's talking to me. He didn't care. I've heard him say, you may not like it. But my brother or my sister, whether you like it or not, God's word's the same whether you want me to preach it to you or not. I've heard him say things on there, and, 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 and he doesn't just preach his opinion. He'll give you a scripture behind it, and he'll tell you why, he, why it's that way. And, he'll tell, and I've heard him say, you can't get mad at me. You'd have to get mad at God. It's his word, and I'm just here to tell you what he said. Just believe. Lot tried his best to get him to come out. They said no. See, I believe we're getting in a place now people don't trust pastors anymore because they've seen too many false prophets in the pulpit. So they don't know what church to go to. They don't know what church to believe in. They don't know what minister music to support. They don't know what preacher to follow because all they see is the television preachers that are begging for money. And they think if that's what God's all about, I don't want to be that. And what happens is that we have as a universal church from television preachers all the way down to the grassroots preachers, we've done a horrible job and a, and, a, and a cruddy job, if you will, of letting people know what's real and what's fake. They don't know what to believe. It's all over the page. They wouldn't believe him. But I, I finished with this. It all started back. His walk got off track. Then when it got off track, he started veering from God's purpose. Then he started compromising, if you will, his values. Then when he tried to turn it around, if you will, and try to fix it, it was a little too late because nobody believed him. But because he got too close to Sodom, it cost him his own family. Lot's family never was the same leaving Sodom as it was when it went into Sodom. Lot went into Sodom with a beautiful wife, a couple daughters, possibly son-in-laws at the time. But when he left, he left with a lot less. He left with no son-in-laws. He got about halfway between here and there to his final destination with a wife, but it cost him his wife in the long run too. Because even though Lot could get out of Sodom, Sodom could not get out of his wife. See, she, when she was living with Uncle Abraham and Aunt Sarah, it's okay. She had, she had an older, wiser woman teaching her the ways of God. She was, she was settled. When she got out into that world, the world unsettled her beliefs. Y'all see it happen with ladies all the time, and men too. I want to say it's ladies. As long as they stay plugged into Bible study and men's ministries and women's ministries and young adult ministries, they get connected and they do good for a while. But these young adults and these young children and these, these, these college and career age and even young married couples, when they get out there and they start hanging out with worldly people, all of a sudden they become unsettled and 
the missus thinks that somebody else looks better than her husband or she he listens better than her husband or the man starts thinking well that girl over there is prettier than my wife and so and what happens is their world unravels around them because they allow the world to get into their life and it changes how many people and I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand but I mean how many people over the last 30 years of this church's existence are still alive but they're not in church anymore they used to be here every week play in our bands sing on our worship team teach our Sunday school classes in this property they're not dead but they got too close to Sodom and when they changed their compromise their values and it compromised their way of living what happened is it cost them a lot more it cost them marriages there were people that were a part of this church years ago family structures blended together two different families in the church married together, blended together serving in ministry together now they're all displaced displaced everywhere they're divorced this one's married to someone else they ain't even church this one's not married at all they're all over the world and they all got spliced when at one time they all were here together worshiping God under the same canopies Lot's wife just halfway out with him but she can't get out of Sodom out of her heart and she turns back Lot keeps running when it's all said and done he started out brother Mike with a wife a couple daughters possibly some son-in-laws going into Sodom when he leaves Sodom he leaves with a he leaves with two daughters we don't hear we don't know what happened to Lot's sons you never hear that Lot's sons followed him we don't know how many children Lot had we know he had a wife some daughters sons they went in and it's all said and done the only people that came out with him was two of his kids what happened to the rest of them we, we don't know but because they watched their father succumb to if you will the the draw of sin brother Wayne what happens is and I'm finished with this what happens is they get out there and they say they start having the mindset mama couldn't get Sodom out of her but the daughters, even though they could get out of Sodom, they still had the thought processes of Sodom. Daddy goes to sleep one night, and they're sitting there around the campfire having a conversation. And they said, you know what? Daddy cost us our husbands. It's his fault. We were all doing fine. Daddy said we had to leave. He said God called us to leave. He's going to destroy the city. We lost our mama over this. Lost our brothers over this. Lost our husbands over this. We got nothing. We don't even, Brother James, have children to carry on our heritage, our, 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 if you will, our offspring. We don't have nothing. Let's get back at Daddy. I'm going to get him drunk, and you go in tonight and have a child with him. Incest 101. You can't make this stuff up. Tomorrow night, I'll get him drunk, and then you go in and have a child. If nothing else, if Daddy took my mama, and if Daddy took our husbands, and if Daddy took our brothers, at least they can do is give us a child. But at what cost? Incest? Decaying of values? They get Lot drunk. You know the story. He has children. He fathers his own daughter's children. The man who should have been a grandfather is now the father of his daughter's children. And it all started. Do you guys have that, Mr. Tim? Do you all still have that scripture back that you can throw up there for me? Genesis 13, 12. You know where it all started? When Lot pitched his tent as far as the doors of Sodom. 
incest didn't happen until he put his tent close to Sodom. Losing everything he worked for didn't happen until he got too close to the fire and he got burnt. He got burnt. We must as a church, not just our church, but universally, we must be a people of God that we don't get so close to the world that the world sucks us in and we lose what little bit of standing out we have left. Because if we don't stand out and stand up for Him, then how is the world ever going to find Him? We have to stand apart. Isn't that what sanctification is all about? Come out from among them and be separate different be different so my challenge to us is this before we pray may God help this body of believers even if no one else even if no other churches and I'm sure there are others that feel this way but I'm not over their churches or a part of their church family but let the world see and let the Lord let the it be put on record in heaven that I don't want this particular body of faith to become so close let our church come so close to the doors of Sodom that we compromise the effectiveness of the power of God there are sons and daughters that need saving there are marriages that need to be restored there are homes that are in disarray in our own church forget the rest of the world even in our own church they certainly don't need us to get them closer to sin they need us to help keep them out of sin may it never be said that we compromised his word sake of everything else around us let's pray eternal father I've done my best today morning and night to preach your word to the people of God I pray when we leave this place today that something that was said or done would have been effective would have been life-changing I pray today Lord that every note that has been sung played Every scripture that has been read, every Sunday school lesson that has been taught, and ultimately, God, every message that's been preached or given, it was not on the record of our own accord. It's not about our own special abilities, but it all centers on the centrality of the cross of Calvary and the God who gives us dynamite-type power. Father, I pray today that when we leave this place, it will never be said that we've allowed the cost of complacency to ruin our values, to get us, get our walk off, the direction of our walk to get off kilter, to be distracted on what you called us to do. And Lord, I pray that we don't have decaying values and, and, and compromise what we believe. And Because Lord, ultimately when it's all said and done, it'll cost us more than we wanted to pay in the long run. Let this church, let these men and women under the sound of my voice and that are watching online, let them leave this place today and let them be counted as a remnant, a people of God that God can count on to stand true, stand firm, stand up and stand out in this world and can be counted as people of God and a light dark places father I pray that you would bless us and keep us you make your face shine upon us you be gracious to us you lift up your countenance towards us give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts to your return 
May the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and eternal redeemer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. People of God said amen. You stand all over the house. I'm, don't forget, before we close, I'm going to have Brother Mike King close us out in prayer. But don't forget, if you can sign up for next.